Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, William. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Man, good to see you all here today. Glad to see your faces I recognize, a lot of new faces as well. If you are new to Double Oak, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here worshiping with us. And look, before I jump in for today, I uh, want to let you know about some new things that will be happening in the next couple of weeks that you can be a part of. Uh, look, one of our goals uh, for us as a church is that we actually would be a family of faith. Uh, a church should never feel like a mall or an airport where you walk in and you're surrounded by people, but you don't know anybody. And frankly, you don't expect to. You come in, get what you want, and you leave. That's, that's great for the Galleria. That's not great for here. Uh, we want you really to experience people, to know people. Now, that's almost impossible to do on week one. Like when you're walking in a new place, if you're here for the first time, I know that's kind of hard because you haven't met anybody yet. But the longer that you spend in a place, hopefully the more it feels like home. Uh, and the way that that really gets fleshed out for almost everybody here is through our community groups. Uh, now, we have uh, tons of community groups that we're meeting. A lot of you might have come from a community group first hour. How many of y'all were in a community group first hour? Raise your hand. Awesome. I love that. See, look around. Man, most of us are in community groups, but for the rest of us, we would love for you to be a part of one as well. They happen both hours. Uh, and look, not only do we have a lot of existing groups, we've got five new groups that are going to be starting in September uh, that you could be a part of. Uh, now, this is important for us. We are an intergenerational church. You can look around and you're going to see a lot of people like you and a lot of people not like you. We got older faces, we got younger faces, and we like that, right? We are a very intergenerational church. So all of our groups are open. You can go to whichever one you want. But when you start going to groups, you'll find that most of them have a flavor, right? Uh, there's a general type of person in a group, typically because we, we invite people who are a lot like us to join the group. So over time, that just kind of happens. So these new groups that are starting uh, are all open, but they also have a flavor uh, that might appeal to you. So one of these groups is going to be uh, focusing on collegiates. Uh, and so that's starting up. Haven't had one of those in a while. We have another one that's going to be focusing on uh, parents of young kids. And so infants or very young children. Got one of those starting up. Another group uh, that's focusing on parents of teenagers. So if you got uh, some of these teens over here and you want a group for yourself, that's a group for you. And then we got two new groups called First Steps. Uh, and this is a group, if you're brand new, this really is a group for you. They're, we'll have one each hour, and this is going to be for people who aren't connected to a group. You can come in, and everybody in the group is going to be just like you. They're going to be brand new, and we're going to teach you a little bit about community, about the church, and that at the end of eight weeks, you'll have an opportunity to kind of join some of these other groups. But by that time, you'll have met some people, got to know some people. You can go in little clumps wherever you would like to go. And so look, all of those are starting on September 10th and September 17th, uh, but you don't even have to wait till then. You can start next week going to one of our community groups. They're both 9 and 1045. They're open to you. If you want to know more, you can go on the website. You can stop over here at Connections. We'll tell you about them. But listen, this is where church really becomes church, where it becomes a family of faith, is when you build community with one another. So don't wait for another semester, man. Jump in, take advantage of these opportunities, and you will be so glad you did. By Christmas, this is going to feel like, like just the greatest home you've ever been in. So I hope that you'll jump in. But now, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 is where we're going to be. We're going to start a brand new sermon series today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Hopefully you got a copy of God's Word. Uh, if not, look on a device or maybe on with the person next to you. They'll share, I promise. Matthew 6, 19 is where we're going to be in just a second. I want to pose to you a question that the Lord posed to me a few months ago. I was rereading through Matthew, uh, and he posed a question that seemed simple to answer on a surface, but the more I really delved into it, it was not as simple as I thought. And the question is this, what is my treasure? 
What, what is the thing I treasure in life? It's a question that comes out of the passage that we're going to read today. And it's a question we really need to have an answer to. But like I said, it might have a deeper answer than what you might expect. What is your treasure? And to help us grab onto that, let's just do a thought experiment, right? Imagine this terrible scenario. Imagine someone came to you and said, hey, you are about to lose everything. You are going to lose everything in your life, but I will give you five minutes to save what you want. You got five minutes. What do you grab? Who do you grab? That should be your wife, your husband, and your kids, okay? If it was not, we should talk, right? All right, that's, that's number one, right? I mean, look, you said, look, if I only got five minutes, you secure your family, right? But, but let's play it out a different way. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, you're going to lose everything. You get an hour. All right, now what do you do? All right, you can grab your family, right? You got that, but, but you got an hour now. What, what, do, what do you get out of the house? What do you secure? What do you go for? All right, let's play it out a third way. You're going to lose everything in your entire life. You get one day to plan. What do you do? You get one day. What's on your list? You got your family, but what's on that list of things you got to take care of? Here's the fourth and final test. You're going to lose everything in your entire life. You get one year to plan. You get one year. What do you do? You're going to lose everything you can't secure in this one year. What do you, it changes, doesn't it? You see, we assume, oh, yes, my wife and kids, right? I, I got them. That's my treasure. But when you really start breaking it down, you begin to have to make choices. You begin to really figure out, hey, what do I truly value? What is my actual treasure? Like, what's at the core of who I am? What, what do I value most in my life? And that's actually a deeper thing that we all need to understand because whatever that treasure is, that treasure is driving us. But look, as we talk about that word, uh, that treasure, we are in some sense going to talk about money as well. I don't know how often you use the word treasure. I, I don't use it very often. Uh, but when I say the word treasure, I have one thing that comes up in my mind and it's pirates. What, I mean, I don't know what happens for you, but it's, it's pirates, right? I was like, Arr. I mean, that's like they have treasure, right? That's what they're looking for. And when people talk about treasure, that's a lot of times what they mean. They mean money, like a hoard, a pile of cash, right? A pile of gold, right? Loot, stuff. There's just this stuff. And, and the word can mean both things. And in fact, we have to talk about both things. And when we get down to what is our true treasure in life, sooner or later, money is going to be involved. And so we're actually going to take an entire series to map this out. But yes, we're going to have to talk about money over the course of this series. And now everyone's uncomfortable, Right? Because that's the last thing anybody wants to talk about. No one wants to talk about money. We will talk about anything before we talk about money. Look at social media today. You will talk about anything with the world. You'll talk about race, politics, religion. Do not care. You will broadcast your opinions until it comes to money. And then we all get quiet. We don't talk about how much money we make. We don't ask questions like that. Think about all the tension that comes up in, in a marriage or in a family or amongst friends when when money becomes an issue. If you got friends from different economic strata in your friend group, sooner or later that becomes attention, right? Because you don't want it to be attention, but it's there, but you don't want to talk about it, and it causes problems. So many divorces are caused by financial tension and financial stress. It's this thing that affects all of us, and yet nobody wants to talk about it. What's strange is that Jesus talks about it a lot. And when I mean a lot, I mean a lot, a lot. When you begin to read the Bible and actually open up your eyes to this, you will find that Jesus talks about money and treasure everywhere. 
In fact, other than the kingdom of God, Jesus talks about money more than anything else. Is that shocking to you? It really is true. More than prayer, more than heaven, more than hell, more than sin, he talks about money. He said, Adam, that can't possibly be true. Think it out. Think about all the passages that have to do with money. You got widow's might, you got rich young ruler, you got giving in secret, you got the parable of the meanest, parable of the talents, parable of the unrighteous servant, you got giving, you get giving in secret, you got the rich thrown into the kingdom of God, uh, you got flipping over t- money t- um, tables in the money changers, uh, or in the temple, the tables of the money changers, uh, you got the temple tax, uh, you got paying taxes to Caesar. I, I mean, it just goes on and on. There's all these different passages that have to do with money, which is weird, right? Because think about it. Jesus was not rich. He did not seek to be rich. And so why in the world would Jesus talk about money so much? And there's an answer for that. It's because money has a profound impact on our spiritual life, whether we like it or not. Money has a profound impact on our spiritual life whether we like it or not. Jesus understood this. And while he was not seeking after loot and treasure in the earthly sense, he says we have to talk about it because in whatever culture we find ourselves, we are going to deal with some form of coinage, some form of money, and that is going to have an impact on our souls. And so therefore, we must talk about money. Now, quick sideboard before we jump into the passage. Uh, everybody's got assumptions about this whenever we do a series on money or if you're ever to church and they do a series on money. Some people assume that if we're doing a series on money that the church is in financial trouble, right? That must be the reason why, right? Surely we're in financial trouble. That's why we're talking about money because they're just after my money because we need to have that. Uh, and look, sometimes that is true, right? If you're in trouble, you should talk honestly about that. I need to assure you that is not the case here. We are in an unbelievably healthy state as a church right now. Uh, We paid off all of our debt here at the Mount Laurel campus earlier this year. So we were debt-free on this campus, which is awesome. Uh, It's very exciting. Uh, We have 20% operating reserves in kind of held as an emergency reserve for both campuses. Those are both fully funded. We have a lot of cash on top of that that is also there for us. We are over budget in our giving this year, and we are under budget in our spending this year. We are doing just fine financially. You can crap for that. I'm very excited about that. But it begs the question, you may go, then why are you bugging me with this, man? You're making me uncomfortable. If we don't need the money, then why are we talking about this right now? Because it is having an impact on your soul and many of us are unaware of it. Many of us wall off our financial lives as if this is some different part of our life. This is unspiritual. I'll give God everything else, but I don't want to talk about this while all the while that true treasure is having a profound impact on our lives and we need to come to grips with that. So look at what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 6, starting in verse 19 through 24. He's going to give us three teachings packed real tight together. Jesus almost certainly didn't read this just verbatim like this. He he certainly almost uh, expanded on this in multiple places. Matthew has collapsed these things for us. And so you get this this tight kind of just uh, encapsulation of a lot of his teaching on money. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then your light, the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. These are the words of the Lord that he gives to us, and we can't ignore these, or if we do, we ignore them at our peril. I think there's three things in these three teachings that Jesus wants us to come to grips with as we go through this series. The first one is this, that our treasure reveals our hearts. Our treasure, whatever it is, our treasure reveals our hearts. Look at verse 21 and notice what it says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, listen, follow the money and you are going to find where your heart really is. When you follow your earthly treasure, wherever, whatever it is, when you follow your earthly treasure, you're actually going to find your heart. This is what you love. This is what you truly care about. Regardless of what we say on the surface, man, find what we truly value and that's where you're going to find your heart. But when we find it, here's what's interesting. It's usually not the money itself. Although money is something that we all kind of strive for and we look for and we have to deal with in our lives, when it comes to our true treasure, there's usually something underneath it. We typically don't want the money itself. You go, Adam, of course I want the money. Actually, actually we don't. Like imagine this. Imagine if I could drop you off 500 years ago right? I got a way back, way back machine. I put you in it. You go 500 years ago. I give you all your cash that you own, hand it to you. You go back 500 years. How much good is it to you? It's useless. No one cares. There's no United States of America. Your greenbacks don't work. They will not get you. The, the little numbers on your bank account and your computer don't matter because computers don't exist. They don't care. All of that stuff that you have amassed, it means absolutely nothing. What will we do? You'd go back and you'd try to figure out the coinage of the age and you'd try to do something then. Why? So you could use that money for something else. See, money by itself is, is typically neutral. It has spiritual effects, but it's neutral, but, but it hides something deeper. Money almost always serves as an avatar for a deeper idol in our lives. If you find yourself wrestling with the love of money, that's almost always hiding this other thing that's deep down inside. There's something that we want money for, and that is our actual treasure. That is what we value the most. And that can be a lot of different things, but there's four main idols that typically hide under money if we're chasing after it. And those four idols are these. They're comfort, power, security, and approval. The four idols that typically hide under money are these. Comfort, power, security, or approval. So let's break those down. First off, there is comfort. Sometimes we want money because we want to live in comfort. We want to have things. When we look at our money, that money means things. It means that we get to live a comfortable lifestyle. This is a bigger house. This is cars. This is, uh, this is clothes. This is toys, gadgets, vacations, uh, decorations. Whatever it might be that makes you feel comfortable, food, whatever else it is, it's whatever makes you feel comfortable. That's what we need money for. When you see money in your bank account, here's what it says to you. This means I can buy that. If I have this much money, I can get this. As long as I got this money, I can always do that. And that gives me comfort. And if I don't have money in my bank account, it means I can't have that. I can't buy that. I can't enjoy that. The reason that we want money is because we want to feel comfortable. I hate to admit this is in me more than I, I, want, to, I want to say. 
Like the older I get, the real, I realize there's more in me where I just want to be comfortable. I like good food, y'all. I really do. I like to eat out. I like really good food. I do. And I'm sad to say, man, that can drive me more than I think of. I mean, I like these comfortable things. And it's not the money per se. It's the comfort that it brings. So we chase after the money of uh, treasure uh, or treasure of money so they can have a deeper treasure of comfort. For other people, it is power. We like money because it brings us power. Money allows you to do things. It allows you to be in control of things. If you've ever described yourself as a control freak, you need to watch out for this because sometimes for you, money means power. When you see money in your bank account, it means you can do what you want. It means that you're beholden to nobody. It means you can take care of yourself. You can do whatever you want. You can buy what you want, go where you want, do what you want. Nobody has power or control over you. You have power and control. And so we want to amass money so that we can be in control of things. If you've ever fell, fallen prey to retail therapy, you have found control at the root. You, ever, you know what retail therapy is? Re, your wife does. All right, look. Re, I'm sorry. That was bad. All right, look. I, I apologize. All right, so I got to, I should, okay. All right, so here's the thing. Because I've actually done this too. Uh, retail therapy is when you say, I, I want to make myself feel better by going and buying something. I want to go buy things that makes me feel better. I remember back in my 20s, uh, I was putting myself through seminary uh, and I, I never lacked. I always had all I needed, but I was living paycheck to paycheck. And I didn't have a whole lot of money, uh, just like in reserve. Uh, and so if I was gone on a long work trip, I would come back in town and I just wanted to buy something. And so I'd go up to the Galleria, I'd go up to the Summit, and I just needed to buy something. Like I would go up to the Galleria, I would go, I would go buy music. I'm dating myself. We used to buy music, guys. That's what we used to do. It's really, it's old. Ask your parents. All right, so look. We used to buy music. I just want to go buy something. Do you know why? It was an act of control. Hey, I can't control everything in my life, but I can control this. Hey, I can't go get everything I want, but I want this. And that little thing, was, it was an act of control. If you feel the need to buy something from Amazon every single day, that's not just about the stuff. That's about an act of control. The real treasure is control. For others of us, it's security. We like money because it brings us security. We are scared of the world. We're scared of what might happen. We're scared of what we might lose. And if I just had money, then I would be safe. I would be good. If we got money in the bank, then it doesn't matter. Even if we lose the job, even if something happens, even if there's a downturn, we've got money in the bank. I got a nest egg. I got retirement. We've got all these things set. And so I will be okay. I'm so scared of the world around me that this money, it brings me security. I feel comfortable. And if I don't have that money, I feel completely exposed. I completely, just, just totally vulnerable. If I don't have this money in the bank, because we're clawing after more money, I gotta have more money because it brings me security. The problem is that there's, there's way too many things to be afraid of. You can never be totally prepared. And so you just have to have more and more and more. But the reason I want the money, I'm not trying to be greedy, I'm afraid. And so the real idol underneath is security. Or fourthly, it might be approval. We want money for what it says to other people and for what it says to me about myself. When I have money, I get to telegraph to everybody else. I am good, I am okay, and I am successful. If I have money, I am good, I am okay, and I am successful. And the converse is also true. If I don't have money, I'm bad, I'm not okay, and I'm unsuccessful. I'm so terrified of that. And we want to project that. We want to project it in other people. So I gotta have money. I gotta have more money because that's what tells everybody that I'm okay. 
That's what it tells everybody that I'm okay. And whenever that money is threatened, it threatens our very self-worth. And look, you can struggle with that at any point in your life. You might struggle with this if you don't have a lot of money, if you are not the breadwinner in your home, if you have lost your job suddenly, or even if you're retired and your paycheck is different than it was and it's not coming from your direct work and it just begins to freak you out. Why? Because that money says something to me and everybody, I'm okay. And when I don't have it, it threatens my very self-worth. I want approval. I gotta show everybody I'm good. You see, people with this idol, they might look like the comfort people because they keep buying a bunch of stuff, but they're buying it for different reasons. People who have a comfort idol just want to feel comfortable. People with an approval idol, they have to buy all the stuff. They don't even care to use it. They just need to show everybody that they can buy it. They need to show everybody, I I belong in this neighborhood. I belong in this strata. I belong in this thing. I got to show everybody. It looks the same on the outside, but there's a different idol hiding underneath. You see this? It's not about the money. We run after money, but there's different reasons why underneath. And if you don't know where your heart is, this is going to rule you. That's why Jesus Jesus is saying, man, your treasure reveals your heart. It shows what's really going on in your heart. You say, Adam, I don't know if I wrestle with these. Well, Well, just ask yourself the question. When you found out that we're doing a series on money and you got angry suddenly, ask yourself this question. What got threatened? What got threatened? Man, they're going to ask me for money. They're going to ask me to give. What got threatened? You realize I cannot make you give. You know that, right? I cannot make you give a cent, and I won't. I won't even guilt you into it. I can't. We will never ask you for your W-2 here at Double Oak, okay? We never will. I don't know what you give. I never have, and I never will. I don't want to know what any of you give at this church. No one can force you to do anything, and yet we still feel threatened. Why? Dig into that. What got threatened? Was it your comfort? Was it your your security, your your power, your approval, something else? What got threatened? Now we're getting down to the real answer. Where's my treasure? Where's my heart? What is it that my heart longs after? It says, if I just have this, then I'll be okay. Our treasure reveals our hearts. Here's the second thing we learn. We learn that our attitude towards money changes our hearts. Our attitude towards money changes our hearts. Look at the next two verses, verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now this is a weird metaphor uh, because typically light lamps shine out and Jesus is now talking about a lamp that shines in. So your eye is a lamp and it's shining into your soul. So your eye is affecting you inwardly, not outwardly. And he talks about two different kinds of eyes here. He says, first, if your eye is bad, uh, the word here really is evil. And so this is where you get the phrase, the evil eye. You ever heard that? He gave him the evil eye, right? The evil eye. All right, Uh, that's not a curse. Um, And the word here isn't actually bad or evil. When you look in the Greek, what this word really means is stingy. It's stingy. It's a stingy eye, a miserly eye. This is somebody who is grabbing after every penny, who feels put out if they have to spend any extra thing at all. They want every little bit and they want to bring it in to themselves. Think Ebenezer Scrooge. Think treasure hoarding dragons. Think, you know, anybody like that, right? These are not heroes in stories. Why? Because it's evil. Instead of looking to give, they're looking to get. 
I must have every single penny. I cannot spend any more. I've got to bring it all in. I just want more and more and more. And I don't want to let my fingers just have just a penny get out from my clutches. Well, guess what happens? When you and I have a miserly eye, when we're looking to get and not to give, it turns your soul to darkness. Did you catch that? Don't run past it. He says, if your eye is evil, your whole body is filled with darkness. It means it poisons your soul. When you and I are miserly, we are more concerned with getting than with giving. This corrupts our soul over time. We shrivel up into darkness when this is our attitude towards money. Now, the converse is to have a good eye. Now, the Greek here is weird too. Uh, The word literally means a single eye. Uh, which might mean that, hey, I have a single-minded devotion to the Lord, but it also, there's a little bit of a word play here, probably playing off the stinginess of the evil eye, uh, where there's a, a similar word that means generous. And so a healthy eye, a good eye, is a generous eye. These are eyes that are looking to give. These are eyes that aren't looking to get. These are eyes that are looking, I was like, man, I've been so blessed. Who can I help? How can I encourage How can I strengthen? Man, I mean, how can I help somebody else? I have been so blessed. I can't wait to bless others. How do I give? And the result of that, your whole body is filled with light. Your whole body is filled with light. It actually strengthens your soul. It frees your soul. It helps your soul when we have a generous eye, when we are looking in ways to to use money for other people's good. Hey, that actually brings blessing and not corruption. So Jesus understands this and says, listen, you have to think about your relationship with money because it has a profound impact on your soul. It can either corrupt you or it can actually bring more life to you. So our attitude towards money actually changes our hearts. But here's the third thing. Our treasure will rule over us. Here's why you need to know what your treasure is because sooner or later, our treasures will rule over us. Look what he says in verse 25, or 24 rather. He says, for no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now this is very interesting. Uh, Jesus personifies money here. The word in the, in the Greek is actually mammon, which is a transliteration of just a Hebrew word for money. But he gives it a capital M. He, he personifies it like a rival God. And that is very strange you actually don't see this anywhere else in the Bible. Money almost always in the Bible is neutral. There's no Greek God called money. Uh, Nobody does this with money. Uh, Milton in Paradise Lost personifies money as a demon, but he's really pulling off of this passage. But the early Hebrew scholars did that. You don't see this in, in the Old Testament. Hebrew scholars, Greek scholars, nobody's doing this. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, in in, in positioning money as a rival God, he's saying you need to understand the kind of pull that money can have over you. Money by itself is neutral, but it has profound spiritual effects. Money by itself is neutral. It's like a tool, but it has profound spiritual effects and you cannot undermine those. You cannot uh, just ignore those effects because they absolutely will rule over us if we're not careful. If you haven't thought about this, if we haven't made specific decisions about this, sooner or later, money will end up ruling over us. And I say, Adam, I would never let that happen. Nobody rules over to me. I'm an American. I do things on my own. 
I, I make my own choices. No, 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 no. Think about it. Money ends up ruling over us. How much stress in our life is caused by the fact that we don't have enough money? I need more money. I got to have more money. I, I want this thing, so I got to have more money. We said this earlier. How many marriages are, end up in divorce because of financial stress? How many people in America are in debt right now? Credit card debt in America topped $1 trillion for the first time this month. $1 trillion in credit card debt in America. It was almost half of that 10 years ago. 10 years is not a long time. We have almost doubled the amount of credit card debt in America. That's not even to talk about school debt, car debt, home debt, medical debt, all the other debt in our lives. So much so, it can be this crushing burden. We're spending all this money just trying to keep this debt monster at bay. Adam, I can't possibly be generous. I can't possibly give to anywhere because I'm doing so much trying to pay for the stuff I couldn't afford before. Do you see what's happening? Money rules over you. That fear of debt, that fear of all these things, it crushes us. We buy things beyond what we can afford. We buy things in a poor fashion. And that debt, that fear, that stress, it ends up ruling over us. So much so, look what he says. <laughs> he says, if you, you will either love one and hate the other one, or you will, uh, uh, where are we on 25? Uh, he says, you will desp- uh, des- be devoted to one and despise the other. When you and I love money and we find ourselves serving money, something interesting happens. We, find, we end up despising the Lord. If we don't get a handle on this and we don't understand how money affects us, we will actually end up despising the Lord. You say, well, Adam, now, now I know you're off the rails. That's not me. Adam, I came to church this morning. I cannot possibly do that. I would never despise the Lord. I hope not. But let's do an experiment. Uh, as a part of this series, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says and what we see, the consistent example, is that we ought all to be bringing the first fruits to the Lord. We ought all to be bringing a tithe to the Lord. We ought all to be bringing 10% of our income or more to the Lord. All of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we ought to be giving back to him at least 10% of our income, gross, not net. Question, how do you feel right now? Because some of you are going, that's cool, I got it. And the rest of you are going, like this thing just rose up in you. Like, and you're doing so hard just to keep yourself still. Don't show him, don't show him. Don't let him know it's you. Stay still, don't let him know. You move, he'll know. Don't let him see it. Just stay still. But inside, you're all like, I can't do that. Oh, I can't possibly do that. Why? Man, sometimes these things, these ideas come running in. When you hear that, you ought to be giving 10%. We go, I can't possibly do that, Adam. If I did that, that would ruin me. If I actually gave 10%, I can't possibly, with my finances and the way we're leveraged out there, I couldn't possibly do that. I would lose everything in my life. And why would God do that to me? I know why, because he just doesn't want me to enjoy anything. He doesn't ever want me to have fun. He's gonna make me go live in a hut somewhere. He doesn't ever want me to enjoy anything good. You know what he's doing? He's making me pay for my sins. I know what he's doing, man. He's making me pay for all those things. He said he forgave him. He's making me pay for all of my sins. And why is God asking for money anyway? He's God, he doesn't need my money. He doesn't need anybody's money. So why in the world will you ask me money? And how come I gotta give it to a church, man? Churches waste money all the time. How come I give it to him? I at least ought to be able to keep it. I'll give it to who I want. Let me keep it. I'm sure I'll give it sooner or later, but I ought to be in control because this is my precious. <laughs> That's in there. That's terrifying. <laughs> Did any of those thoughts come up into your heart? Because guys, that's a problem. Those are unbiblical and they're just not true. 
If you have fears like that, if you have concerns like that, that is completely denying the love of the Lord in your life. It is completely denying the provision of the Lord in your life, the faithfulness of the Lord in your life, his passionate care and concern over you. It denies all of those things when we have such a tight grip on things. Do you see what happens? It's absolutely possible for money to rule over us. It doesn't have to, but it can. And we must be aware of this. Where is our actual treasure? Because look, if you let money rule over you, look, money is a terrible master. Money is a terrible master. You do not want to serve money. Money will always fail you. If you will put your stuff in earthly treasures, it will always fail you. Look at verse 19. Look what it says. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't put your trust in earthly things. Why? You will lose them. They can be taken away in a heartbeat. And we can't fully prevent against that. I'm sure all of us have been tracking the tragedy that's been unfolding in Lahaina in, on the island of Maui in Hawaii over the past week as wildfire surged through and leveled Lahaina town. Alice and I were privileged on our honeymoon to go out to Maui and so I've been to Lahaina Town. I remember those streets and the galleries and all those things. Some of you all have been there too. And we will never go there again because it is gone. They will rebuild it, but it will be different. And it is gone, never to return. Beautiful paradise. Gone. I've been shocked as pastor of this church. I knew that I would encounter different people with different kind of crises but as I had never really encountered this before in my life, I just did not know how many people ended up losing everything they own in a house fire. I never knew anybody who had that happen. And since I've been pastor, I can name four or five just in this congregation alone who've lost all their possessions in a house fire. Just like that. People we know, people right here who've dealt with it. It's absolutely possible to lose all of these things. They cannot fully take care of you. And if we put our hopes in them, they will be dashed. Look what Paul says in 1 Timothy. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Look what it says. It says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Did you catch that? They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. The storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul is clearly referencing Matthew 6. He is clearly referencing back to this very teaching from Jesus where he says, don't store up treasures on earth. Instead, lay up treasures in heaven. He uses the exact same language, but look at the very front. He says, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how well off you are. It can all be wiped away. We live in a broken world, a sinful world with all kinds of tragedies. And I can't explain them all, but you cannot put your hope in the uncertainty of riches because sooner or later they will fail you. Why would we serve money when money is not going to serve you? So what if we serve the Lord instead? What if instead of serving mammon, serving money, we instead serve the Lord? What happens? I find life. I find the life that is truly life. 
I find eternal treasures that cannot be taken away from me, that, that moth or rust or fire or sin or disease, none of it can take that away from me. I get an eternal treasure that is secure, that, that even my mistakes can't, can't take away from me. I get full security. I get real approval. I get real power through the Holy Spirit. I get the comfort of eternal life. All of my deepest needs are satisfied in Him. When I turn to Him first, that's where you find true life. That's the real treasure, which begs the question, do we treasure the Lord? Like when we're going through our, our thought experiment at the beginning of the sermon, did the Lord show up anywhere in that list of things I have to have? If I lose everything, I gotta have the Lord. We say, well, he's not a thing, he's not a possession. I get that. But did he even enter into the, our thinking? Jesus gives us two very quick parables in Matthew 13. Same book, but look what Jesus says a little later. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. You see what Jesus is saying? He says, if you find me, if you find my kingdom, you get everything even if it entails the loss of all your earthly possessions, even if you lose everything in this world, if you have me, you have everything and more. He's worth it. The Lord Jesus Christ is a treasure. But do we value him like that? Do we seek after him like that? Do we say, listen, if I lose everything, as long as I got Jesus, I'm okay because in him, I have everything. And if we don't treasure him like that, then look to him and see do you not see the grandeur and the glory of this great God that we serve? This God who is sovereign and supreme. This God who is the most beautiful, the wisest, the most creative, the most powerful, the most amazing being in all of existence. And that grand and glorious God knows you. He made you. He cares for you. You can know him, experience him. You can live in him, truly know him. This is what is offered to us. If we found the Lord, we would find the greatest treasure of all time. Do we treasure him? And if even after that, you're not convinced, I just don't know if I could treasure the Lord. Let's ask one last question. What's his treasure? What's his treasure? What does the Lord treasure? And that's a real easy answer to find out. Remember, just follow the money. Follow the money and you'll find out what somebody really treasures. Here's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That if you just believe in him, you'll have eternal life. God loves you so much that he's willing to give his very own son for you. Do you know what God's treasure is? It's you. You are God's treasure. You are so valuable to him. He would literally give his own son to save you. Jesus Christ lays aside all of his comfort, a place where he has always approved, where everyone obeys him, to come live on a planet where no one listens to him and everybody yells at him. He lives in mean circumstances. He gives up all of his, why? Because he loves you. And at the very end of it, he will pay the ultimate price to bring us home. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, the treasures of this world, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
Jesus Christ pays for us with the greatest treasure imaginable. It is the life of his son. He loves us that much. That's how he treasures us. How could we not chase after him above all things? How could we not treasure him above all things when he loves us and our weakness, our brokenness, our sin, even when we're not okay. He gives everything for us. How could we not seek him above all as our true treasure? If we find him as a treasure, that will transform our relationship with all the things of this world, and yes, even with our money. And so as we open up this series, I just want you to think about a few things. Think about that first question, what's your treasure? What's your treasure? Like dig down deep. Don't go for the surface answer, but like follow the money. Like go down underneath to get to the why of what's driving you. What's your real treasure? It might surprise you. It might be different than what you think. But what's the thing I am craving? I say only this can give me life. If I lose everything, I still have to have this. And is that thing gonna truly satisfy you? Has it ever? Has it ever for anybody? Ultimately? What's your treasure? Here's the second question. Do you treasure him? Do you treasure him? And we might have to honestly say, Adam, I don't know. Maybe a little, but I don't know. Maybe not fully. Then I dare you to ask him, Lord, reveal yourself to me in all of your glory. As I read through your word, help me to dive in. Like a, like a verse like John three sixteen. let me dive in and recognize, wait a minute, you gave everything for me. Why? Lord, show me your grandeur, your glory. I want to see you that I might treasure you. That just like that, that person who finds the treasure in the field, I'd be willing to sell everything just to have you. Jesus, I want to know you in all of your glory. I dare you to pray it. But here's the final thing I'll challenge you to do as we start the series. Just keep showing up. Because I guarantee you, you're going to be tempted not to show up next week. <laughs> if you have ever been tempted not to show up at church, it's going to be for this series. Next Sunday, you're going, I don't feel good. You feel fine. Get over here. <laughs> I know it's like it's football season next week. I got to get my body prepped and like ready. Maybe you should start early on that. Not, not football season yet. Get in here. You got you to gotta do this thing. I don't know. Maybe we should look at some other churches. For how long? I don't know. Length of a series? I don't know. <laughs> look. Enemy's going to be after you. Look at the state of your soul and say, hey, I, I, for my own sake, I need to be here. I want to know what my true treasure is. I want to find the life that is truly life. I want to learn how to treasure the Lord and let him change my heart when it comes to my earthly treasure, my money or my earthly treasures. I want to treasure him and he can transform everything. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at. We're going to close in a song of worship. But even as we get ready for that, could you just ask yourself that question? What's my treasure? What drives you? What's the thing you have to have? If you lose it all, what do you have to have? I can lose a lot of things. I have to have this. What is it? And why? Why does that drive you? Because things do change. Things do happen. But the Lord is still good. He is that good, good father we have been singing about. He is that God with a thousand names and deserves every single one. 
Why do we seek after the vain and temporary things of this world when infinite joy and our eternal Savior is offered to us? What's your treasure? If you've got just a deep clutch on something in your life, maybe it's time to offer that to the Lord and say, God, I don't just want to give you part of me. I want to give you all of me, but I don't know how. Would you help? Would you help me? I want to learn how to treasure you above all things. Change my heart when it comes to my value of the things of this world. Help me to value you more than anything. And he will do it. Come open-handed, come open-hearted and let the Lord fill you with true life. And so, Father, help us. God, I'm so sorry. We just run after bright, shiny things. And we keep saying we're not going to do it anymore and I do it again. God, forgive us when we find ourselves deceived by the bright, flashy things of this world only to be disappointed for the 50th time when all the while you were here offering us eternal joy. Father, help us to have our eyes open wide and fixed on you. Help us to find the life that is truly life in you. Father, save us from the evil master of money. Instead, help us to enjoy life as your sons and daughters. Lord, help us. We're excited to see what you do in us. In your name we pray.